The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It is just a tad under eight minutes after 11 o'clock. You're listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. Honor and a pleasure still being in your company. Thank you for staying with us. It's going to be an interesting year in the geopolitical sphere, 2023, that is. Um, as far as South Africa's interests are concerned, a number of changes have taken place or will be taking place. One such significant change is that President Ramaphosa will get to be at the helm of BRICS this year. Importantly, uh, Prime Minister Modi will be at the, at the helm of the G20, while China has a new foreign affairs minister, and importantly, Brazil has a new president. Not just a new president. It's a shift, a fundamental shift in the politics of Brazil from Bolsonaro's nationalist right-wing uh, branded politics to Lula's progressive, moderate, liberal, social democracy-leaning politics. That influences how it engages with the global community and what it, pos- what it imagines its position to be as part of its geopolitical blocks, BRICS being one of those. All while this is happening, an ongoing uh, war is taking place in the Ukraine perpetuated by a BRICS partner, Russia makes it all the more complicated. And my guest for this conversation, to unpack all these complexities and to put their hands on a crystal ball for a little while and answer the question, what is to come, is Professor Patrick Bond, who is a political economist and distinguished professor of sociology at the University of Johannesburg, and Professor Anthony Nivekerk, who is a professor of international relations and securities at the OR Tambo uh, at, at the Tabombeki uh, African uh, School of Public and International Relations, which is a faculty within UNISA. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time this morning. Really, really do appreciate it. Has it been any more interesting than 2023 will be for us in the last decade, uh, Professor Bond? Hey, it's so nice to be with you, uh, Oliver, and uh, what a great uh, topic to start the year with. I think I agree entirely with your assessment of the political terrain, and I'd add that the United States dollar will be another critical question yeah. since the uh, SWIFT, the so-called payment systems of SWIFT that uh, the U.S. and the West have shut Russia out of, then in turn last year uh, created some expectations that there would be more inter-BRICS uh, the trade and perhaps some financial relations that wouldn't necessarily be dollar-based. Then you add Saudi Arabia. That's the maybe single most uh, crucial of the switch points between uh, this Western uh, alliance and an oil-based uh, dollar system and a potential swing uh, because there is a BRICS plus that's being discussed that would not only have Saudi Arabia, but also its main enemy in the region, Iran, and also would have uh, the UAE uh, host of the big climate summit next year, yeah. as well as Kazakhstan and Egypt, Algeria, Senegal, Nigeria, Argentina, Nicaragua, um, and Indonesia. I, I don't think I've missed any. Anthony, you can correct me. But the uh, basic problem here is whether this now becomes a completely different animal. It becomes, as we're going to see next month when there's some war games that uh, South Africa joins uh, Russia and China with, and uh, maybe new uh, Russian relations that we're seeing in the shipping context of exploring for, for gas that's yeah. just been announced. Lots of tensions that go beyond what you've laid out properly as politics and now into economics and environment. Yeah. Uh, Prof. Fanivikert, last time you and I spoke, I called South Africa's non-position on Russia's invasion in Ukraine political cowardice. You called it political courage. Where are we now? 
Yeah, I uh, I don't think that the the needle has moved on the South African government's position on uh, on Ukraine. Uh, good morning, Patrick. I hope you're fine. Same to you. Great to be yeah. with you. Yeah, thanks. So so I think one of the intriguing questions uh, is is how South Africa's foreign policy will shape up uh, post November and December. Yeah. Um, uh, under under Ramaphosa's um, guidance, I um, I foresee trouble because um, part of our conversation might be about what it takes domestically to exercise power and influence um, on the international terrain. And as much as South Africa says, or its government says that uh, Africa and SADC, our region, is of prime importance. It also wants to play on the on the global south stage, hmm. but uh, many of us are questioning whether Durko, our foreign affairs department, and the ruling party itself uh, has the ability to to project uh, ideas um, and also power and influence. In fact, I don't know if you've had this discussion before, uh, but the analysis of the of the ANC's um, foreign policy position paper. Uh, and its uh, security and its defense. You know, there's a cluster of, of policy papers that I think hangs together. Uh, and that, I think, is important to analyze because I think if I can jump the gun, I think there's nothing new, really, in the way that the, that the ANC formulates its foreign policy. And I think Patrick uh, uh, put it well. Uh, we're entering uh, uh, another year of extreme turbulence, uh, which also presents apart from dangers, opportunity. And so I think the name of the game now is as the geopolitical winds shift so fast, is uh, how do you uh, build new alliances to promote uh, strength at home? And what I mean by that is how do you grow the economy? How do you bring investment? How do you reduce poverty? Because after all, for me, that would be uh, in the national interest. Mm. Uh, whatever we do with China or with BRICS or BRICS Plus, that should be the, the guiding the guiding mm. point. Mm. Russia has rendered itself a political pariah, so to speak, in in, in global politics, uh, and made it all the and made politics and economics all the more inextricable. Right, uh, security in particular and economics all the more inextricable. So you can't speak about the economics of our alliance and association without speaking about our position on the security question. Similarly, if you do the reverse, you'd have to attach the other. That being said, are we in a place where we can exert that kind of influence? Does Russia even listen to us? Uh, us then, President Ramaphosa taking over the, the leadership of BRICS this year, I, I'm not sure if that gives them any more of an influence. Well, if I can uh, jump in quickly, because it's uh, plausible uh, that President Ramaphosa would take up a negotiation role. And in that sense, there's some, uh, let's say, uh, intrinsic logic to sort of being on the fence. Uh, he's done that before. And where I was born in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, he did a really good job. And the, the Good Friday Agreement has even withstood all of the controversies the last couple of years over, over Brexit and the new border that Britain has put for trade uh, in the Irish Sea. So I think Ramaphosa has a good sense of not just from the South African context, but internationally. So let's say there's a plausibility that um, by being neutral and not, uh, you know, in a sense, you could argue, as, as many have, that 
the original uh, reaction by the foreign minister Naleti Pandor was to was to actually condemn uh, Russia and say, "Hey, get those troops out." That was on the, the first or second. Yeah, but then there was a U-turn, and some have said, "Well, look, then there was a, a man called Victor." Well, Rexter, they kind of uh, distance themselves from that statement that they not and say, "Well, we don't know who put it out. We never uh, proved it." And at exactly the same moment, uh, Victor Vexterberg, who uh, was running a manganese mine here. Uh, in collaboration with the Chancellor House uh, fundraising arm of the ANC, found 10 million uh, rand to give to the ANC at a critical time when it was sort of on the edge, <laughs> edge of bankruptcy. So, okay, just coincidence. Yeah. Now, the, the main, he, by the way, Fexterberg has been a, a close ally, one of the, the uh, oligarchs around Putin. But um, the pain that uh, South Africa has faced um, is not all that evident for, for playing this neutral role because South Africa, especially Naledi Pandor, hosted Antony Blinken uh, and then was also just at the, the big Africa Leaders Summit. And then uh, President Biden even invited uh, uh, Ramaphosa uh, in October and uh, also in November we saw Ramaphosa, the, the first state visitor since uh, whew, Donald Trump had made such mm-hmm. a mess back in uh, 2018 or when. Now, that, those, to me, indicate that South Africa, and especially Ramaphosa, along with Mackie Sol, the, the uh, Senegalese leader who's been the AU chair, maybe one or two others, but uh, Paul Kagame comes up a lot, and he's yeah. a military figure of note. But uh, really, he does stand head and shoulders above other African leaders, and I think for, for Putin, that would be of some importance. Now, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister from Russia, didn't include South mm-hmm. Africa on the trips uh, last year, but I can imagine they're trying to do deals. The last deal they tried, it was shot down by civil society. Remember the nuclear reactor with Rosatom? And I think that was the main material interest that Russia has had. But then there's also all of the other uh, roles that Russia plays in Central Africa with its uh, Wagner Group, and that in turn caused the United States uh, House of Representatives last year to say, we really need African countries to get off the fence and back us. And if you don't, you'll be in trouble. You'll be brought into sanctions. And then uh, Naledi Pandor said, you can't do that. That's really the, the sort of height of imperialist arrogance. And that's sort of where it stands. I think Anthony Blinken said, look, don't worry. It's just a bill. It won't necessarily become a law. We won't be doing that sort of arm twisting in the, in the old Yankee tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, can Ramaphosa be trusted in the international community? Prof. Anthony, I ask that because on the one hand, uh, mm. uh, you know, the Russian foreign minister doesn't come and visit South Africa when he's on a parade across Africa. Or while mm. that is happening, uh, South Africa has a bi- an important bilateral with uh, Joseph Biden in, in the U.S. And, and uh, you know, the king. Uh, rolls mm-hmm. out the red carpet for Ramaphosa, uh, and mm-hmm. once again seen as a close friend to Western imperialism, which is the antithesis of BRICS's uh, p- positioning. That I, I say that to then ask again: Can can he be trusted by his uh, BRICS partners? Yeah, I was also puzzled uh, to see that the Ch- the new Chinese foreign minister, whose surname I forget now, is it. Uh, Ching, I'm not sure. It's, it's we can look gang. It yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, has not put South Africa on his list of five African countries. Um, I guess it's because we don't have oil or gas, <laughs> which looks like uh, the driving force there. But I mean, you raise an interesting question. And I think this is the opportunity for South Africa um, to play a very sophisticated diplomatic game. Uh, but whether um, beyond the president, the foreign minister, and 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 Durko, whether we have uh, the personalities and then the tools to back up our position is is doubtful. 
we're in a very difficult position domestically, I think. Also, Dirko is struggling, I think. Uh, we can talk about that if, if you want. But if 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 Cyril Ramaphosa wants, working with, with Naledi Pandor, if she stays on as foreign minister in the coming month or two, uh, then indeed make use of the open door to the White House in America, the very strong uh, relationship with the EU, especially around trade, mm. and then, of course, our position in BRICS, chairing BRICS, uh, and, and it goes beyond that. We're also very involved in the Indian Ocean Rim Association, but it extends into the Indo-Pacific. And as you know, in terms of the geopolitical turmoil that we're facing this year and in coming years, um, every significant uh, nation has some interest in the Indo-Pacific. And it might just be that Taiwan might be the trigger for some trouble later on in this year. And so we, we have diplomatic representation and interests um, across from west to east, uh, also in Africa, although you have to ask why we're not more strongly represented at the level of the AU. But nevertheless, we have the ability to provide that bridge building role and building alliances to bring uh, to bring the Russians to the table. Uh, but I must, uh, in terms of a peace deal, but I must say that uh, Turkey is very active. Uh, actively engaged in in precisely this this kind of diplomacy that I'm that I'm discussing, and uh, I think the Turks are closer to the action in terms of the Ukrainian war, mm-hmm. and it might just be that we'll have to take the second or the third seat here. Zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. Give us a call. What is your comment or question you'd like to contribute to the question, Prof. Patrick? What's wrong with Durko? Oh, Durko um, has had, um, uh, let's say, diverse leadership and lots of scandals. And uh, it's often because, you know, ambassadors are chosen from uh, the ranks of the political failures or, you know, opposition party. Or, But particularly, you've seen uh, at least a dozen scandals associated with mismanagement and uh, uh, funding. And, and even probably the worst involved Iran, in which uh, an ambassador uh, was allegedly um, uh, let's say selling South Africa's um, support for a nuclear position mm. on behalf of uh, of Mnet. This was alleged by Turkcell, the, the competitor. It's still in the courts. So let's say that it's a terrain where we've had from the beginning uh, with Alfred Zo the uh, ostensible sort of logic that the ANC comes out of the international progressive movement and the liberation movements, and certainly with the Palestine Liberation Organization in, in its distant past and uh, the Sahwari the, uh, in, in, in Western Africa. Africa, the solidarity, those two sites of struggle mm. against Israel and against Morocco. Uh, certainly, Durko's ideologically been pretty strong. And, and in f- fact, I think it was Lindy Wissasula was a, f- a foreign minister, and she actually withdrew the South African ambassador to Israel. But by and large, I think South Africa's positioning has been, um, let's say, criticized frequently for talking left and walking right. And that would be things in, in Durko's recent past where uh, supporting repressive regimes, uh, not not least, uh, you know, not, not going uh, into a critical mode against uh, Putin's invasion, but also in relation to Myanmar. I think that's one bubbling away because of the coup just uh, two years ago. Um, and the Myanmar junta uh, is still getting weapons from South Africa. Uh, the oil flows through a small company 
called a silver wave. Uh, those uh, relationships continue, and they continue with uh, a local company called Impact, run by a guy called Johnny Copeland, in spite of the call for Johnny sanctions. Johnny Copeland being a former uh, labor unionist, Who, as well as Ramaphosa's closest close ally? Well, uh, I don't know about that closeness. He certainly gave two million rand. It's been reported he didn't deny it to the CR17 campaign. But I think the critical question is, um, even though Anthony said we don't have oil and gas, actually we do. And the problem is that uh, enters the equation. It does so in a way that's been in the news this week because of the SANDF in Mozambique. And the reason that they're there, which I hope people are fully aware of, is to defend uh, some Western oil companies as well as China National Petroleum. But you know, ExxonMobil has a big, big stake. And mm. Total uh, Energy is the big Paris company. It's a $20 billion investment already. And uh, INI from Italy. Those four, um, China National Petroleum, INI, uh, ExxonMobil, and Total, to me, help explain why uh, we have a thousand troops there, and there's, uh, of course, talk of exploring offshore in the west and the east coasts for uh, oil and gas, and Johnny Copeland's very central to that. And the Burmese company called uh, Silver Wave connected to the Myanmar junta. Um, you know, one of the connections that w would be much preferable if we didn't have, because it does support a repressive regime. I think Arms Corps selling all these arms to. Uh, to the NATO countries and other repressive regimes, lots of ways in which uh, if Durko could become a stronger voice for human rights, we'd have a lot more respect and fewer of these sorts of contradictions. Does that in part explain uh, Emmanuel Macron's visit to South Africa last year? Absolutely. It was in uh, May of 2021, to be precise. Right. Uh, uh, and yes. and uh, he first visited Paul Kagame, and he made a sort of tokenistic apology for the French role in the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Mm. And then he came to South Africa. You might remember that um, President Ramaphosa and Prime Minister Modi were, were, were trying at that time uh, quite aggressively to get uh, the intellectual property on, on COVID vaccines and treatment yeah. to be taken away, just the way we did with AIDS medicines in yeah. 2001. And unfortunately, uh, you know, the West, basically Britain, Germany, uh, Switzerland, and Norway, those four countries vetoed it at the World Trade Organization. But it was another moment where Macron came to Pretoria and said, okay, no, I'm, I'm now on your side on this. Now, what was in exchange? Well, for Kagame, it was uh, 1,200 troops. South Africa committed over 1,000. And then this SAMIM, the Southern African Mission in Mozambique. Now, I would say that's, if you use the word imperialism of the West, and also China to get that oil, we were playing the sub-imperial uh, let's say, gendarme, the local yeah. <laughs> deputy sheriff, right? And yeah. that was a tragedy because we know it's back to SADF 2.0 type of burning of bodies rem reminiscent of FLAC plus SADF 1.0. Those are the kinds of things that we get into, like the Yankees did in the Middle East, uh, absolute atrocities mm. in defense of oil. We, we have to get off this just for the sake of next generations and the climate. Yeah. Uh, Prof. Anthony, do you, do you set, share a similar assessment of DOCO? Yeah, Durko is, is beset by internal problems, uh, leadership, uh, lack of, of proper leadership, uh, uh, lack of research and analysis, training and education. It's 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 quite a challenge. Um, and and if you if you compare, you know, some of our previous presidents who were quite active in foreign affairs, uh, Mandela and Becky. Uh, to to Zuma and now Ramaphosa, it, it seems as if Durko has lost uh, its 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 flavour and its position of influence in in the government mm. in government circles. Mm. Um, Give us a call. Zero, it, sorry, yeah, my, my it, apologies. Yeah. 
Mm. And it seems to me that that uh, the the only real driver for our current president in terms of foreign foreign affairs is to get the the continental African free trade agreement going, mm-hmm. uh, the ACFTA, and there there lies a whole lot of uh, challenges ahead uh, in terms of getting this going, uh, which might be worth another conversation but beyond that i i, I really despair because as a as an academic um and where my part of my job is to do training and education and assist with policy development uh there goes on the back foot they don't have a research and analysis unit strong enough they don't i mean we still have political appointments uh post diplomats and ambassadors are posted without being properly briefed uh, Dirko developed a national interest uh, document, uh, which uh, is of uh, un- uncertain status in the department and in government at large. Um, and so really it's struggling. And I, I really worry that uh, the, the as we face uh, this increasing turmoil uh, in Africa, as Patrick has just pointed out, Cabo Delgado's uh, situation is getting worse, not better. Uh, but also elsewhere on the continent and then globally. Uh, we need to have uh, uh, smart, younger, well-educated diplomats, ambassador, ambassadors, and those who represent uh, the country, the nation, if you want, abroad, and seeking out opportunities for us to, to grow at home, to strengthen what we have at home and protect what we have, by the way. Mm. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. And... Um, I mean, all eyes are on the cabinet reshuffle moment, and uh, uh, let's hope that there's some 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 positive development there. Yeah, let's go to the lines. Romeo calling us from Owartambo. Romeo, good morning. Oliver, good morning, and uh, to all your panel, including also SFM family members. How are you this morning? No, we are well. We are well. Go ahead. What's on your mind? I'm fine. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to ask, uh, in, in actual fact, it's a question that you did ask one of the panel when you said, did uh, President Ramaphosa being trusted as we see the Russian foreign minister didn't come to South Africa, rather in, on that position in South Africa would take over the position of chairmanship in the BRICS. But for me, South Africa is taking over uh, on that position on a critical situation in which also the West, as soon as South Africa assumes that position, the West will be open eyes widely to see how the president of South Africa is going to react over the issue of Russia uh, and uh, Ukraine. Since they took a position that is already known, that uh, they are neutral, they prefer they prefer negotiations. However, I see uh, the situation will remain the same as long as this war. It's no longer a Ukraine war versus Russia. As much as we see Europe and uh, Western allies, all of them, they are in the side of Ukraine, support Ukraine with the resources, many resources uh, to fight against. If it was a uh, Russia and Ukraine alone without anyone interfere. I think the negotiation was going to be easier to balance the talk and possibly they were going to find a way of mutual understanding and they understand the situation that is now killing civilian people. But for as long as the Western are also in there, 
South Africa is going to find themselves very difficult. And I think to your panel, I don't know my point if it is worth. I wanted to ask if can we change the world order that <laughs> each and every country with its own current, can they use it in the form of whenever anyone purchase to respect that current so that we don't uh, be controlled by only one single current okay. as you say okay. US. Fair question. Thank you so much for that, Rome. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll answer that on the other side of this. It's half past 11. Let's take your news headlines with Dino Mutaung. Uh, good morning, Oliver and your guests. Prof, you're so spot on. Dirko is nowhere to be found. And you touch on something that's very important, the African continental free trade area. The last time I possibly heard about it actively is when uh, President uh, Ramaphosa announced it in 2000 and, uh, 2020 years and neither the Department of Trade and Industry neither or DERCO they, they can't run they don't have practical plans in terms of taking these things forward you know and when you email communicate with them they don't get back to you you call the offices there's nowhere to be found Sean Nero Cape Town uh, good morning, Oliver and the professor and the, your guest in the studio in SAFM. Uh, uh, Oliver, if I can contribute a little bit, my name is Theodore. Uh, I feel like uh, South African position it's in Africa, it's not strong enough because South Africa are compromised, especially with Ramaphosa. We don't know exactly who, which side does he stand. You know, when is war in Africa, it does not condemn the situation in the DRC. The president does not say a word, and um, many situations that are happening now in Africa, South Africa diplomacy is quite not clear, and uh, we don't know. In globally, also, you can see that South Africa does not have much influence. You know, it doesn't at all. Yeah, that's my contribution. Thank you, Tion Kepta. Good morning, Oliver. I wonder if you can ask your two-man panel whether they feel that Cyril Ramaphosa has an intelligent finger on the pulse of what's happening in this country and abroad, or whether he doesn't see the wood for the trees, because ship docking in Simonstown, military soldiers watching bodies being burnt, property being bought in America, when there's no property, yeah, just all these things. DSFM, uh, my point is that our African leaders are sitting on top of their brains. Uh, geopolitics um, is the language of how uh, these leaders operate, and it all boils down through to money. You have these huge corporations um, coming to Africa to exploit um, the natural resources, gas um, and petroleum. Meanwhile, the story that is being perpetuated all around the world is that we are to switch through to renewables. So um, it all boils down to money. Um, yeah, and I think that just our African leaders need to do what's right for Africa and stop focusing um, on what the West and Europe is telling us. All right, cheers, bye. Quite a lot coming out of those sets of voice notes. Uh, maybe three things. Let's 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 separate them in and, and deal with them in turn. Uh, oil. A big uh, global uh, political shaper. South Africa seems to be going west with its decarb uh, decarbonizing uh, efforts, right? 
uh, how significant will the future of the oil industrial complex, broadly speaking, play uh, in, in, in our politics there. I, I, we want the money, right? There's a lot of money on the table to help us decarbonize that money. will do a, a great deal to rescue institutions like ESCOM. Does it play a role, uh, Prof. Patrick? I don't think so. I think the uh, complications here are extremely important to unpack because um, there is this vast amount of gas that's been identified total. Is the total discovery uh, off of the Wild Coast? Uh, and uh, they're still exploring off, off the Wild Coast, off of the Atlantic Coast, and that's not just Total and Shell. It's, as I said, Johnny Copeland and Impact. It's Petro SA. Um, and ExxonMobil had been there, uh, Equinor, the Norwegians. And then, as, as I say, up the coast, there's this huge field. It's the Rivuma Basin, the fourth largest gas field in the world. And um, INI, the Italians, have already started to, to drill there, and BP's working with them, and they're taking the gas to Europe. Um, but the, the broad context is because of the um, sanctions against uh, Putin, uh, the oil price soared, and he cut off, and, and there was probably some manipulations in uh, in the West, maybe a blowing up of a pipeline. We don't know all the details yet. So um, Europe has had to go off of uh, Russian gas, oil, and coal, and so they've come to Africa. That's a huge contradiction, isn't it? You saw, mm, mm. Um, you saw um, Olaf Scholz, the uh, German chancellor come to Senegal, Nigeria, and uh, South Africa last May. And in each case, uh, in, as you say, offering decarbonization with one hand and then saying, but please give us a lot more coal, this big coal export run that goes from now all the way to the Botswana border down to Richards Bay. It's been chaotic because of Transnet's problems, but that's what they want. But I think the, the dilemma is they're offering um, $8.5 billion, but it's not very concessional. The Yankees are probably um, the most ungenerous, a billion dollars, but it's commercial rates. All of that subsidy from Joe Biden goes to basically guaranteeing the banks that they won't go bankrupt if ESCOM defaults. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the dilemma is that we're sold that there's $8.5 billion to decarbonize and it's going to ESCOM, a company now we know really quite conclusively, very corrupt, very dangerous. Can they actually make this transition? And there's where I think Andre de Reiter deserves some strong criticism because 47% of that uh, he wanted to turn into um, gas. So he wanted methane gas to come in through Richards Bay, through a liquefied natural gas terminal, the World Bank and Transnet's developing, and a 3,000 uh, megawatt uh, methane gas. But we know methane is, is 85 times more potent a greenhouse gas mm. than coal. So I, I fear we go from being coal addicts to meth addicts. And that meth addiction <laughs> is going to be terrible because mm. I don't think w it means our, our exporters who use ESCOM energy, who are already going to be hit very soon with the carbon border adjustment mechanism. That means climate sanctions because the high uh, greenhouse gas content in our exports means that the Europeans say we don't want that in our imports because that'll uh, represent a kind of cheating, uh, mm. and it'll lower our ability to, to regulate on climate. Um, and I think if we move from coal to methane the way De Reiter has wanted in the planning, that'll actually amplify the problem. They're not really thinking enough ahead. So to one of the questions, does Ramaphosa have a handle on that? Actually, he does. And in his speeches, he said, we don't want to be hit with climate sanctions, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, ESCOM and certainly Guaidimantash and all of those guys connected to the oil industry, including Batumon Schleko, who is Total's main partner, Johnny Copeland, these guys give the ANC a lot of money. <laughs> so yeah. I do worry we have a minerals energy complex, the historic problem of the apartheid capitalist system, becoming also now 
uh, a gas um, a complex, a, a gas energy um, connection that, of course, uh, you can expect Chancellor House with its holdings in Shell. Uh, you can expect uh, the uh, ways in which the ANC always goes out looking for money in, the, in this kind of fossil fuel sector, coal sector, and so forth. That's going to be a, a tough few years in civil society, as it did over the last year, has to go out and protest, go to the courts, and, and raise hell about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prof. Anthony, one of the questions uh, speaks to South Africa not taking a position on many of these things. Um, it seems like we've got an inclination, at least the Ramaphosa administration, that's to say, has an inclination towards taking non-positions to assume a mediatory role. Do we have the capacity to play that mediatory role uh, in the various sorts of conflicts that draws us in directly or indirectly? Yeah, I, I, um, we might have had a generation of um, smart diplomats with lots of experience uh, and they shone under uh, Thabo Mbeki's uh, presidency um, and there were some some legacies you know of, of institutions that were created or built or reshaped uh, OAU to AU etc etc uh, but I think um, that generation um, is passing and uh, is not replaced by uh, the next incoming generation of of national security analysts, of diplomats and ambassadors, and people who ought to give the president uh, or the cabinet or the presidential team, if you want, uh, who goes to the uh, UN General Assembly or to the G20 or to the BRICS meeting, uh, the kind of analysis Uh, and the speaking points that they need to have at their fingertips in order to participate in processes to justify the seat that we demand at the table. Uh, And that's my my concern. Mm. There's a lot of work uh, behind the scenes, as we've discussed now, that needs to be done still. Uh, And I would probably argue that um, that the Zondo Commission report and its recommendations uh, gives us an understanding of what it is that needs to be rebuilt uh, in terms of diplomacy uh, and security and defense that will enable us to play a stabilizing role in the region and beyond. Mm. Um, I do think, although it is true that uh, the French and Kagame in particular, working with the Mozambicans, uh, there's a lot of corruption uh, in all of those relationships uh, when it comes to Cabo Delgado, we cannot discount the, uh, the emergence and the threat or the danger of violent extremism. Uh, which I think Sadiq calls terrorism. And and um, it's I think it's our duty to participate in processes uh, to deal with this. Um, it also links to um, uh, the problems we have with cross-border activities of an illegal kind. And it also relates to cybersecurity, the financing of terrorism. And South Africa is not innocent uh, in all of this. Uh, we need to have much stronger analysis and response uh, a capability to deal with these these threats. Yeah. If we don't do that, uh, we become what Patrick is hinting at, um, which is we become the plaything in the hands of the of the uh, Western powers. Uh, and I don't think that sort of sub-imperial sheriff role is really what uh, makes us proud, and nor should we aim to continue to do that. Doesn't the converse also hold true, that we become a plaything in the hands of... Um, our stronger partners in Russia uh, and, and, and China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the amazing thing is that I don't think as South Africans we've worked out how to deal with this enormous 
aggressive competition uh, that we see on the continent. So the Turks uh, have a um, sort of a, a campaign uh, to, to win uh, hearts and minds. So do the Chinese and the Russians. Uh, and I would also say that the Gulf states are moving in quite, quite quickly. And as South Africans, in the absence of a smart uh, foreign policy, we, we have one which is called um, <laughs> uh, the foreign policy of Ubuntu. Yeah. It, it, it sort of sounds pretty quaint and a bit naive now when you think of how complex the world has become, that uh, just by, by being nice to others, you will be able to, uh, uh, to mediate conflicts. I don't think that holds true at all anymore. And we need to refresh and rebuild our, our foreign policy. But let me also add, a, a foreign policy needs uh, also to have a set of values that drives our diplomats to understand the world and do the, do the stuff that will bring value to, to South Africa and to Africa. Yeah. And without a national development plan that gives you that sort of overall understanding of our development trajectory, our foreign policy is lacking. In 30 seconds, uh, Prof. Patrick, does realism make room for Ubuntu? Well, if the realism is based on, let's say, uh, science. So, for example, should we, as Anthony says, put our troops into Cabo Delgado? I don't think so. Anthony, I'd say pull them out and then <laughs> yeah. campaign for a just energy transition partnership for Mozambique to leave the gas underground. Then you solve that problem. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time uh, this morning. Prof. Bond, really do appreciate it. Prof. Anivakerk, really do appreciate your time. That brings us to the end of the conversation. Bring us to the end of the show. We'll be back with you tomorrow with the Friday edition of The Talking Points. It's been an honor and a pleasure being in your company once again. It's time for your book reading, Sitting Pretty by Christy van der Veste, narrated by Fiona Ramsey.